0: Good morning,
1: friends across California, across the nation, but especially here in Fresno. This is Jonathan Keller from California Family Council. Very happy to be back with you for the second hybrid radio show slash podcast for California Family Council. Lots of things to talk about today. Judge Gorsuch is now Justice Gorsuch. If you're listening on the podcast, you know we actually recorded a special breaking news alert about this uh, last week. Maybe a little bit later, we may get to some audio of the actual swearing-in ceremony. If we don't get to that today, we'll definitely play it next week. But Judge Gorsuch was sworn in in a special Rose Garden ceremony earlier today, just about an hour ago, just after 8 a.m. Pacific time here on Monday, April 10th. So we want to talk a little bit about what that means for the future of religious liberty. We want to talk about what that means for the pro-life movement for marriage and family. We are going to be joined a little bit later in the show by a special guest, someone from Alliance Defending Freedom who's going to be joining us talking about the Trinity Lutheran Playground case, which would be fantastic. We're also going to be joined by Greg Burt from California Family Council, our state director who heads up our capital outreach there in Sacramento. But I want to go ahead and just play a little bit of audio talking about Neil Gorsuch. There is a great thing that the Christian Broadcasting Network, CBN, did talking about Neil Gorsuch and what it means that the Senate went nuclear if you are unsure about that if that doesn't make sense john gerardi and i have talked about that a little bit in the past but here is the news report from cbn talking about what that meant this was actually recorded just before the final vote on judge gorsuch but it's really good background so here's some more information from them
2: republican senators have triggered the nuclear option to get judge neil gorsuch appointed to the supreme court It was a bold move and could result in political repercussions for some Democrats. White House correspondent Jennifer Wishon explains.
3: By the end of the day, Republicans expect Judge Neil Gorsuch to have his hand on a Bible, taking the oath of office to become a Supreme Court justice. Despite his glowing qualifications, Gorsuch got caught up in a political showdown, agitated by Democrats still smarting over the fact that President Obama's final Supreme Court nominee Merrick Garland never got a hearing.
1: This is the latest escalation in the left's never-ending judicial war, the most audacious yet, and it cannot, and it will not, stand.
3: McConnell warned Democrats against triggering the nuclear option, which downgrades the votes needed to approve Gorsuch from 60 to a simple majority of 51. Democrats warned that the rule change will have long-term implications.
4: In a post-nuclear world, If the Senate and the presidency are in the hands of the same party, there's no incentive to even speak to the Senate minority. That's a recipe for more conflict and bad blood between the parties, not less.
1: That was Chuck Schumer. I know this is a a video report from CBN, so I wanted to pause this to give a little bit of context. Uh, The the thing that's a little bit ridiculous about Chuck Schumer's statements here (laughs) is that just several years before, uh, in 2013, Chuck Schumer was the lieutenant right behind Harry Reid as they broke the rules to change the rules. They voted to – instead of waiting for a 67-vote supermajority that is technically required to change the Senate rules – They broke the rules and changed the rules with a simple 51-vote majority so that they could rush through some of President Obama's nominees for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. So the hypocrisy here is just insane. At that point, remember, it was a Senate controlled by the Democrats in 2013 it was a white house controlled by the president and everything that chuck schumer just said was exactly what what he's worried what he is cautioning you know he's saying doom and gloom this could happen in the future this is exactly what the democrats did in 2013 and 2014 in fact they did it all the way from 2009 when president obama was inaugurated all the way through 2015 when the republicans took back the senate The Democrats did not consult with the Republicans. They pushed through very hard left nominees. They packed the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And the reason they they packed the D.C. Circuit is because that is the regulatory court where many of the federal agency rulings are decided. And they knew that if they could add a majority of people who support the regulative state, they would be able to uphold those and continue expanding regulation on every part of our lives. So let's continue with the report.
3: For Democrats, it's a political gamble. Of the 25 Democratic senators up for re-election next year, 10 are from states Trump won. In some cases, big. And conservative groups are already targeting them.
4: Why is Claire McCaskill threatening gridlock over his confirmation? Because she's lost touch with Missouri.
3: Meanwhile, liberals are applauding the Democrats' opposition. This they say Gorsuch is outside the mainstream. Chose- Senate Majority Leader McConnell called that notion out of touch
1: few outside of manhattan or san francisco believe that ruth bader ginsburg is in the mainstream but neil gorsuch is not
3: it was a contentious vote one senate chaplain barry black seemed to anticipate in his opening prayer
0: purify their thoughts as they strive
4: to do your will
3: in Florida, to meet with the president of China, President Donald Trump told reporters the nuclear option will not affect his future picks for the court. Jennifer Wishon, CBN News, Washington.
1: So I'm very excited. Again, Neil Gorsuch was sworn in this morning, if you're just joining us, in a special Rose Garden ceremony, and I, I will say there is some uncertainty that still remains. We don't know for sure what Neil Gorsuch is going to rule on some key cases. For example, he's never had the opportunity to rule on Roe v. Wade or on the pro-life issue. Uh, he has written a book, though, a very eloquent book in opposition to assisted suicide. Uh, he has spoken very eloquently about uh, the defense of religious liberty, siding with Hobby Lobby, and. I think that he is going to be much more like Scalia than some of the other nominees from past Republican presidents like David Souter, for example. Here's actually a second report here. This is from David Brody talking about that concern, but why I think I agree with David that ultimately conservatives, people of faith, people who support religious liberty are going to be well served by Justice Gorsuch.
4: Well, now that Neil Gorsuch has been confirmed, you know, it's interesting. We always thought all along that the first nuclear strike might come from Iran or North Korea actually it came in the Senate. And as we saw that play out here in the last uh, few days. Uh, look, the, the reality is with Neil Gorsuch is he's going to be on the bench when this travel ban, this immigration ban, call it whatever you want, comes to the Supreme Court. Because remember, that's making its way through the Ninth Circuit. And when it was 4-4 in the Supreme Court, uh, in essence, the decision by the Supreme Court had gotten that far would have reverted back to the ninth circuit a very liberal circuit now It will be some sort of 5-4 decision at the Supreme Court. And conservatives clearly glad that Neil Gorsuch uh, will be part of that court. So that's good news for conservatives, uh, for folks that are supporters of President Trump. Look, as it it relates to going forward, we're going to have to watch to see if Neil Gorsuch turns into David Souter. And, of course, uh, for millennials, you might want to Google it. But the reality is that David Souter was a guy, remember, in the early 90s, appointed by George H.W. Bush. He was supposed to be a conservative guy, ended up going off the rails from a liberal standpoint. The problem with David Souter is there was no paper trail on him. However, with Neil Gorsuch, there is a huge amount of paper trail with him to show that he is a constitutional conservative judge. The question, though, is he hasn't ruled on the life issue. He hasn't ruled on a few other issues as it relates to, let's say, the Second Amendment and there are a few others. So the point is, there is a bit of a wild card scenario here with Gorsuch because of these hot-button issues of the day that he hasn't opined on. So we'll wait and see uh, for the next, oh, I don't know, 20, 30, 35 years. David Brody here on Capitol Hill.
1: So it's going to be an interesting couple of years, couple of decades. (laughs) Uh, Really, folks, the the Supreme Court decisions are so consequential. Uh, That's why nominations are so consequential. Uh, John Girardi and I discussed last week on our special podcast episode, if you're listening here live in Fresno, you can go to our website, lifefamilyliberty.net. You can listen to that live, or you can listen to that rather on uh, recording. You can get our podcast signed up there. John Girardi and I talked about the fact that these these decisions are so crucial in large part because the the Supreme Court has taken an outsized importance in American public life. The reason that they've taken such an outsized public importance is because of cases like Roe v. Wade. And I really think that there's going to be a similar case like that coming up here very soon, and that is something called Trinity Lutheran. We're actually going to hear from my friend uh, Eric Stanley, who's an attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom, when we come back. Make sure you stay tuned here in just a few minutes. And uh, we want to make sure that you also can find us online. Go to our website, CaliforniaFamily.org, and you can find out more about who we are, what we're doing. And, of course, please go to our our social media profiles as well, Facebook.com slash Family twitter.com slash CA family and make sure to tune back in here soon as we hear from Alliance Defending Freedom's Eric Stanley. We'll be right back with you folks here on Life, Family, Liberty produced by California Family Council. Welcome back everybody. It is Jonathan Keller from California Family Council here on Life, Family, Liberty. Excited to be Joining you again today, both live in the Central Valley and also by podcast across the state and the nation. Very excited to be joined today by a good friend of mine, uh, Eric Stanley, is with Alliance Defending Freedom. He is Senior Counsel and the Director of the Center for Christian Ministries. Eric, I think we have you on the line. How are you doing?
0: Hey, doing good. It's good to be with you.
1: You too. You too. Uh, well, I know today is obviously an exciting day with the swearing-in ceremony. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it live with... Justice Gorsuch being sworn in this morning, but we talked about that in our first segment, talking about the impact that having a replacement for Justice Scalia uh, will make immediately on the court. And you you guys actually have the uh, the unenviable task of being first to the bat uh, to <laughs> argue before our new uh, justice. So can you tell us a little bit about the case of Trinity Lutheran?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the, the case of Trinity Lutheran Church is the our court's only remaining uh, religious liberty case on the docket uh, this term, and yeah, it'll be one of Justice Gorsuch's first case. Uh, the oral argument is uh, next Wednesday, April 19th, and we'll be there. We're very happy to be in front of a nine-member court, uh, but this case really uh, raises the question of how will or how can a state treat religion? Can it treat religious people as second-class citizens out of a desire to avoid the separation of church and state? And what Missouri did was it had a scrap tire grant program where it would take tires out of landfills and recycle them into usable materials, uh, one of which was a pour in place rubber playground surface. And all nonprofit organizations could apply for a grant that would cover about half the cost of the materials for the playground surfacing. Uh, they would reimburse the nonprofit. Uh, And uh, Trinity Lutheran Church applied. Uh, The state has about 16 different neutral criteria, none of which have anything to do with religion. It has to do with things like how many tires come from Missouri, what's the surrounding poverty level, what's the commitment of the nonprofit to the actual project, those kinds of things. And then they ranked all of the applications. They had 44 applications that year in 2012. Uh, Trinity Lutheran ranked fifth out of those 44. They gave out 14 grants that year. Uh, But Trinity Lutheran didn't get a grant, it got a letter from the state that said, due to our state constitution, that prohibits any aid going to a church uh, where we cannot... uh, And because Trinity Lutheran is is owned and operated by a church, uh, we cannot give you a grant. And so that's what we're challenging under the Free Exercise Clause and the Equal Protection Clause, to say that in the name of a state constitution, separation of church and state, you cannot violate the Free Exercise Clause by treating religious people worse than everybody else.
1: And Eric, I know this is maybe a little bit much to get into in a in an eight-minute segment here, but can you – something I'm not an attorney, but I remember when spending time with some of you and your great colleagues at ADF, I, it first came across to me the idea of a Blaine amendment and how – Really, at the end of the uh, 19th century, we had all of these really anti-religious freedom amendments, really anti-Catholic at the time, but they have now been extended and expanded to really try to persecute and prosecute people of any faith. Can you just briefly give us an, an example or an explanation of why Blaine amendments are so harmful to First Amendment protections?
0: Yeah, well, Blaine Amendments were named after a federal senator, uh, James Blaine, who really went on a crusade around 1875 to uh, stop any funding of uh, parochial schools, Catholic parochial schools. Uh, So back then, uh, all of the state schools were funded, um, and they were all Protestant in nature, uh, and there was really a move, this was an anti-Catholic move, to stop, stop Catholicism from spreading in the United States. The Supreme Court has recognized that the Blaine Amendments, uh, and, and I should say, at the federal level, the Blaine Amendments failed. And so it was never inserted into the federal constitution, but yet uh, today a little bit over 30 states have them in their state constitutions, what are so-called mini-Blaine Amendments. Uh, and uh, the Supreme Court has held, uh, actually a, major- a majority of the justices, that those Blaine Amendments have uh, what they call a, a history of anti-Catholic bigotry because they prohibit any aid to any sectarian institution, and, and sectarian was code word for Catholic at the time. The problem is is that these, these clauses have been in the state constitution since around 1875, which is when Missouri's was, in, was added to their constitution, and that's what the state of Missouri is relying upon to discriminate against Trinity Lutheran Church. Their, their constitution is actually very broad. It says no aid directly or indirectly, can go to support any church, sect, or denomination of religion. Uh, And so it's one of the broadest in the nation, and Missouri is actually using it in this instance to say a rubber playground service that has nothing to do with religion, that has no religious doctrine in it whatsoever, that a church is disqualified from getting a a scrap tire reimbursement grant uh, for their playground solely because of their religious status, because of who they are, even though giving them the grant would not violate any so-called separation of church and state. That's what we're saying is unconstitutional.
1: Well, and it seems pretty blatantly unconstitutional. Actually, one thing that is a little bit of inside baseball, but... I think you and a lot of people of faith, a lot of people who are working to defend religious liberty, they actually have some hope that Justice Gorsuch may actually be – I know it's really tough to replace Justice Scalia on many levels. He was such a witty and engaging justice. But from what I have heard talking to some of your colleagues, uh, Justice Gorsuch might actually be a little bit of an upgrade in the religious liberty and free exercise department.
0: Well, he certainly has ruled uh, before uh, on religious liberty cases. When he was a judge at the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, he ruled in the the correct way in the Hobby Lobby case. Uh, He also ruled in the Utah Highway Patrol case, which dealt with crosses on the sides of roads as as memorials. Uh, And I think there was a Native American case as well that dealt with religious exercise. And so his rulings have shown that he's always been a friend of, of free exercise of religion. And so that's what we're hopeful that will take place now, is that that will continue here, because... What we're contending, and I think it's pretty clear, that it violates the Free Exercise Clause of the United States Constitution to disqualify a church from receiving general welfare benefits, um, just because of their status as a church. I mean, if that logic were to go all the way, then you could say, well, you can deny churches police and fire protection and things of that nature, because that's an aid of a church. Uh, Our Free Exercise Clause was meant to protect the Free Exercise of Religion from that type of discrimination. And we're hopeful and and fairly confident that Justice Gorsuch is just going to go the right way on this case.
1: Well, and again, uh, this is a little bit of inside baseball, but from hearing a little bit about the one kind of granddaddy that started up the whole RFRA movement, both on the state level and also at the federal level, the Employment Division versus Smith, that ironically was a case that I believe was Justice Scalia's opinion. He authored that case, correct? That's right. Yeah, that's right. He did.
0: Yeah, and and it'll be interesting to see what the court does with that as to whether – uh, they will kind of stick to that. But, but I think even in Smith, so Employment Division versus Smith said, well, if there's a neutral law that applies to everybody, then that can that's allowed to burden religious exercise, unless the government has a compelling interest that it, that it not do that. There's a ma- massive shift in, in how the court used to treat free exercise of religion claims. But even in Smith, the court acknowledged that the government, and this is a quote, cannot impose special disabilities on the status of religion. And that's what we're saying is happening here that Missouri is imposing a special disability on, solely based on the status of religion. And that's something the court never allowed anywhere uh, in the Free Exercise Clause, even under Smith.
1: Well, Eric Stanley from Alliance Defending Freedom, director of the Center for Religious, I'm sorry, is it Center for uh, Christian Ministries. Yep, that's right. Awesome. Eric, uh, your website obviously is adflegal.org. I know people can follow you on Twitter, ADF Eric on Twitter. And uh, the date of the argument is next Monday morning, correct?
0: Uh, It's actually next Wednesday, April 19th. And I'd also throw out there playgroundcase.com. That's a good website for this particular case.
1: Playgroundcase.com. Please visit it. Eric, thanks for joining us. We'll be right back. About 34 minutes after the hour here on Monday, April 10th, in beautiful central California. I am Jonathan Keller, president of California Family Council, and you are listening to Life, Family, Liberty. Still trying to work out exactly how all of this will work when you're listening to shows online, on uh, SoundCloud, or on iTunes podcasting it after the fact. I apologize for the repeated reintroductions, but as I've learned from uh, my good friend Hugh Hewitt, you have to rely on the fact that the radio audience turns over about every 15 to 30 minutes. So hopefully that's not the case with the podcast audience. Hopefully you guys actually all listen through to the end of each episode. But we did want to, again, thank our friend Eric Stanley from Alliance Defending Freedom for coming on, talking about this important case, the Trinity Lutheran Playground case. And again, I believe he said you can go to PlaygroundCase.com. I I strongly encourage you to go check out uh, the information that ADF is giving you, playgroundcase.com. You can find out about why this case is going to be so important for the future of religious liberty. Trinity Lutheran Church of Columbia versus Comer. And there's a lot of uh, great information that you can encourage your friends, your family to uh, pray about. Uh, Adam Liptak of the New York Times actually called it the Terms Remaining Marquee Case. Uh, It's going to be a big deal. And I can guarantee you that Not next week, but in two weeks, two episodes at least from now, we will play some audio from the oral arguments here because this is going to be a case that determines in a lot of ways the future of religious liberty. Uh, For example, as Eric said in the last segment, if you have a neutral public benefit, how do you decide whether or not it's constitutional for a – government to deny those services or that neutral public benefit to a religious organization. In this case, it was talking about the tire scraps that were protecting children. But the really scary thing is if you, if you begin to say that religious organizations are not entitled to the same level of public funding, the same level of public good as other organizations, it, that becomes a really slippery slope. As an example... Uh, You know, obviously, you could argue and say, well, look, we don't want to be paying for, you know, Bibles. We don't want to be paying for, you know, the minister's salary. I think that's absolutely correct. I think that's true. You don't want to do that. However, if you begin to talk about neutral public goods, what happens if the church is on fire or the church is broken into? Does the church get the same level of service from the fire department? Does it get the same level of service from the police department? I mean, after all, those are public benefits. Those are things that come from taxpayer dollars shared across the city. What what happens if someone sues and says, I don't want my tax dollars going to put out the fire of this church? Well, I know that sounds a little crazy. It almost sounds far-fetched, but stuff like that is actually what's going to be at stake with this case here being argued next Wednesday the 19th Of April, So we strongly encourage you, again, go to playgroundcase.com. Thanks again to my friend Eric Stanley from Alliance Defending Freedom. Also to my friend Carrie Kupec from Alliance Defending Freedom, the great media maven who does so much good work over there, and she kind of let me throw her a curveball this morning early, and I appreciate her fielding it very well and uh, getting Eric lined up for us today. Uh, I wanted to shift gears a little bit here and switch back to some things happening more locally here in the state of California. Uh, we have not talked about this bill yet, but there is a, <laughs> it really never does cease to amaze me, the type of legislation that we get in California on a regular basis. So far, and if you've if you've heard this before, I apologize, but I, I have to repeat it because it's so almost unbelievable. There were 2,500 new bills that were introduced this last year in the state of California. And there's some testimony on just one of those bills was SB 179, and I'd like to play now the testimony from Greg Burt. He spoke in opposition to SB 179. We're going to play this through the end of the break, and we'll come back and we'll hear from Greg Burt in just a little bit here.
5: And I'm uh, speaking on behalf of the California Family Council. The bill before you today marks a profound change in the way human beings have defined themselves since the beginning of recorded history. Previously, human beings, by their very nature, have been thought of as binary, either physically male or physically female. This bill attempts to completely change this understanding. Today you're being asked to make a momentous decision regarding how our government will define sex and gender. There are only two real choices. Either one's sexual identity or gender is based on self-identification or feelings, as the proponents of this bill believe or it is based on biological facts. What is a male? What is a female? That is the question before you. It is our contention that the words male and female describe biological reality, and this reality should be listed on state identification documents. Male and female, he created them, as the scriptures say. But to be be male or female is not simply a religious belief, It is a description of the human race that has been integrated into the very definitions of the words. Look up the words male and female in the dictionary, and all you will find are physical descriptions. Our state driver's licenses have always recognized this truth. Pull out your driver's license, and you will see that all the identification characteristics listed are physical descriptions. Eye color, hair color, height, weight, and sex. These are listed on the driver's license because these physical characteristics can be independently verified by physical evidence, even if the person is unconscious. If you allow someone who is physically male to list themselves on a government document as a female or vice versa, then the government will be legalizing a lie. That's assuming we are still using the dictionary to define what is male and female. As senators, I know you think you are powerful, but you do not have the authority to simply change the meaning of words just because you want to. If you are trying to resolve the identity document difficulties that those who identify as transsexual, you would better off be uh, to remove sex as part of a person's physical description on a driver's license or a birth certificate. Otherwise, you are knowingly letting citizens put false information on these documents. Senators, think about your own children. What did you tell them uh, about their gender when they were born? Did you base what you told them on their physical characteristics, or did you encourage your children to choose the gender based on how they felt? Now, this is a rhetorical question because I know what most, if not all, of you did. You exclaimed to the whole world with joy the moment your child was born that you had a boy or a girl. And you did this completely and without hesitation based on the child's physical characteristics. In closing, the California Family Council believes government documents need to reflect biological facts for identification and medical purposes. And secondly, we believe this bill advances a falsehood. That being male or female or no gender at all is a choice that each person should make, not a fact to celebrate or accept.
1: That was Greg Burt from California Family Council. And we're excited that he was able to share that testimony there in the Senate uh, Transportation Committee hearing. And when we come back from our break here, we're actually going to be joined by Greg on the phone. And you can find out more by, about that testimony by going to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash California Family. And when we come back, Greg will share with us why it's so important that all of us contact our legislators directly uh, because there was some disappointment on this vote, even from the Republican side. We'll talk to you about that when we get back here on Life, Family, Liberty. This is Jonathan Keller from California Family Council back here on Life, Family, Liberty, a radio show and podcast from California Family Council. We're in the studios today of AM 1680, The Answer in Fresno, California, broadcasting live and, of course, by podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, any of your favorite podcast listening apps. If you were listening to us before the break, you heard California Family Council's Director of Capital Engagement, Greg Burt, giving testimony in the Senate Transportation Committee hearing in opposition to SB 179, which is a new bill from Senator Tony Atkins and Senator Tony Wiener from San Diego and San Francisco area, respectively. This bill, if it wasn't clear from Greg's testimony, this bill would basically allow a third gender to be available on all state documents. It would also allow individuals to not only change their gender—that's actually— changing from male to female or female to male, that's actually legal right now in the state of California. But if this law passes, it would remove even the modest protections for the state. It would allow those changes to occur with no direct oversight from a physician. There would have to be no sign-off from any doctor. A person could just sign these forms uh, as an affidavit, And there is theoretically no limit to the number of times they could change their gender. Uh, Greg Burt from California Family Council, thanks for being with us today.
2: Hi, Jonathan. Happy to be here.
1: So, obviously, you gave some great expert testimony in the Transportation Committee hearing last week. Tell us a little bit about that. I know it was was disappointing to see, uh, frankly, the utter lack of response from a lot of people of faith and even organizations that are going to be affected by this bill.
2: No, it um the those for the bill there were plenty of folks uh lining up to testify and to come to the microphone and say that they agree with uh the bill. Even the uh, California Teachers Association was there uh in support of the bill. Um but on on <clears throat> on the opposition there uh there was me and there was also uh John Everston, Pastor John Everston from uh, Awake America California. And so he was there, too, uh, stood to the microphone and said that uh, they were opposing it. But you're right. there, There was not opposition like I thought there would be for such a radical bill.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I was really shocked over the fact that normally when you have different bills, whether it's pro-life bills or pro-family bills in some way, you have people that come out of the woodwork. But literally, it was really just you and Pastor John this time. And I, Greg, I don't think people really understand how much of a you know ground-shaking bill this would be if it actually passes. I know you tried to share in your testimony. I know they only give us such a short amount of time when we speak, but... Can you share some of the potential side effects of what would happen if SB 179 is actually passed and signed into law?
2: Well, you ha- you have to imagine what they're doing is they are completely separating. The- what they're doing is they're changing the very definition of male and female. If you go to the dictionary now, as I explained in my testimony, you'll, you'll see physical descriptions to describe what a male and female is. I mean, this is something that used to be basic, uh, but now they are – this. The state will no longer identify someone uh, that if they're male or female based on physical characteristics. It will simply be a self-identification, a feeling that somebody has, and that's what they mark on their on their document. So, I was uh, on Facebook talking to somebody who was uh, worked at the security in the airport, and I was I was explaining to her that see what happens when people come through security, they hand the license, uh, driver's license, to the person with security. And the person looks at the physical description and sees that it matches the person standing in front of them. Well, the M or the F that's listed on your license, driver's license, will no longer mean physically male or physically female. So that little characteristic will be meaningless to the anybody trying to check somebody's uh, identity.
1: Yeah, and you actually proposed a potential alternative saying, look, if, if this is an issue, let's just you know cut to the chase. Let's just eliminate the field sex from any state documents. If you want to eliminate it from driver's licenses, if you want to eliminate it from applications or et cetera, if that's what you want to do, because that that is essentially in essence what you're doing. By m- removing any grounding in reality f- from male and female, by changing it to pure subjective preference and personal opinion personal identification, male and female really don't mean anything anymore.
2: No, except when you say, what does it mean to be a male if it doesn't have anything to do with your physical body? I mean, so what is a male? I'm not sure what the definition is going to, I mean, we're going to have to come up with a different word to mean physically male and physically female, because those words will no longer mean what they currently mean.
1: Well, and really, this is a further example of the deconstruction of language and the deconstruction of reality. I mean, we saw it after Proposition 8 was enacted to very simply just state that marriage is between a man and a woman. That was overturned by the Supreme Court, uh, first in a limited way in 2013, and then for the entire country in 2015 with the Obergefell v. Hodges case – Literally, the justices of the Supreme Court decided that marriage does not mean what it has meant historically for all of time. And now, Greg, the, the LGBT community is not content to allow even male and female to mean what it has meant for all of time.
2: Yeah, and I, I, I don't think people realize, I don't even think the senators, and I'm, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, but there, were, even the, there was one Republican senator, Senator Morrell, uh, that voted against it. But then there were three Republicans up there who didn't vote at all, and then all the Democrats voted voted yes. And, I, and here's how the opposition is portraying this. And um, the, those they, they brought to testify um, were actually folks who were actually, they're called intersex, meaning they were born with both female and male uh, biological parts. And so it's, Physically, um, they were ne- they were neither male or female. They they had it was a, um, a whether it's a handicap or, or a deformity um, at birth, and so those folks actually really have to make a decision about what gender they're going to identify as. And so I have compassion for those folks, but but this bill doesn't require. Uh, you can Anyone can identify as what they call non-binary.
1: And that's, um, that's I think, the real problem, Greg, is that there, it, it, we do have compassion for some people in some cases, but this yeah. bill goes way, way too far. Uh, Greg, we're going to have to cut it off there. Uh, we're up against a hard break. But thanks for joining us here on Life, Family, Liberty on AM 1680, The Answer. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us, for listening in. Thanks to Greg Burt, to Eric Stanley, and to the people at CBN, David Brody and the team over there, for being with us today, helping provide content for this second radio show episode of Life, Family, Liberty. I wanted to, again, just remind you to go to a couple of key websites that were mentioned. Uh, Greg Burt mentioned... Our website, CaliforniaFamily.org, there's a new blog post up there talking about the lack of response from even some of the state's Republican senators. There's also, of course, our social media pages. Greg has that video that you can watch. That post is, I think, the top post on our Facebook page as well. You go to Facebook.com slash CaliforniaFamily. And, of course, you can find everything we tweet out as well at Twitter.com slash CAFamily. For me personally, you can find me Twitter.com slash Jonathan Keller. And uh, you can find me on Facebook as well. I post back and forth between Twitter and Facebook. I'm a little more active on Twitter than Facebook. And we also encourage you finally, in, as Eric Stanley said, to go to playgroundcase.com for more information about that pivotal Supreme Court case. But we're going to go ahead and end it here now that we've got the uh, Easter coming up this week. It's a pretty uh, going to be a little bit of a slower week around the Capitol. We're still going to be working on some key plans for things the rest of this year. But I encourage you spend time with your family. Uh, remember the true reason for the season, Uh, and not just Christmas, but remember the reason for this season as well. With it being Easter, we want to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's why all of us at California Family Council do what we do. Uh, We believe that God came to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. We believe that he came so that we could have life that is eternal, but the life that begins right now. So, Find a church. If you don't go to a church regularly, find a church to go to this week on Easter. Look forward to being with you back next week on Life, Family, Liberty.